Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for this series, and I'm speaking today with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we have been discussing CIC issue number 75, God's Will and Christian Liberty. Last week, we talked about God's revealed will, that which is found in Scripture, and God's providential will, that which is revealed throughout history. And we also talked a little bit about Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We closed last week talking about open theism, and there is sometimes this idea out there that what we are presenting here reduces us to just robots or automatons going about doing things as God predestined them to be. You've mentioned that you've had a lot of interactions with different teachers on this. How can we clearly just show from scripture that God still uses our own personalities and our own desires and the way he made us as we go about making decisions and living our lives. Well, let me quickly just say, um, on the surface of that, I've been teaching through the book of Acts. The entire book of Acts is telling us that. Because right. you, you have the command at the beginning, which Luke Acts is a two-volume work, and you have the Great Commission, the command to go to, to preach repentance for forgiveness of sins. And they begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And you see them sitting about to do it. We recently looked at the Macedonian vision where Paul right. had, had a vision at night. He, he'd been trying to go elsewhere, Northern Asia Minor, and was prohibited from doing it exactly by what means the Holy Spirit. We didn't go. We don't know exactly how. But then determined well, I'll go over to Macedonia. Now this last Sunday I covered what happened in Macedonia. It was very interesting in its own right. And how we ended up with meeting these people, meeting out by a river, Jewish people, and a, a lady by the name of Lydia. And so all of these things happened the scene of history. And we saw the accuracy of the historical details when I was preaching on Sunday. And we also saw how God used this Lydia. And therefore, God uses real people making decisions on the scene of history. And that's how God works. And you see that throughout Acts. It wasn't like they didn't have to debate anything. They just had had the Jerusalem Council because there was a dispute about whether we're going to command the Gentiles to be circumcised. Okay? And so the intrigue is still there. The, the decision-making is still being made. Even when the apostles were still alive on the scene of history, they still had to make decisions take action, to deal with problems. And so it's very much a real-life process of going about doing things, preaching the gospel, trying some things that don't work, do other things, 
And that's how we enjoy our freedom in Christ. That's right. And that right there is also a good example of how God providentially uses things. When Paul is hindered from going to a church, he writes a letter, which becomes an epistle that becomes a part of our New Testament that blesses Christians today. Right. All of these things are all being worked out. You know, if, you, if we could go back to those New Testament times, Paul just decided to write a letter to a church. It didn't. Yeah. See, we're not getting moment by moment revelations. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. We are making decisions, but that decision is coming out of the whole person, who we are, what God has done for us by his grace, what sort of persons he calls and puts in what place and what time in history and what situation. We just go about making decisions. And God is using it. That's providence. That's part of what God is doing. And when something doesn't work out, it's not proof that we failed. Or what I used to always hear is when something didn't work out the way we wanted, then we'd hear that being uh, described as, well, you didn't hear from God. Right. And that one was always thrown out there. You didn't hear from God. The implication was, if you're really good at hearing from God, nothing would ever go wrong. Did it ever work out that way? Well, things went wrong for us, just like it did for anybody else. And resolving problems and deciding what to do is part of our enjoyment of the life that we live. And that is a good thing. That's something that God ordained. Now, sin means that the thistles grow in the garden. And we got to pull them out. We talked about that a little when we were talking about the Watchman Need Doctrine. And right. there's no perfection out there, but overcoming problems and solving them and fighting the battles and raising our children or doing whatever we're doing in life is part of our life. Providence is there to comfort us, not to make us think, well, what will be will be. I might as well give up. Let me read something I wrote about in my article about this. Okay. Now, listeners, this is issue number 75 you can find on CICministry.org. Issue 75, March, April, 2003. Uh, and I'm talking about the critics. Quote, they claim that providence is actually fatalism in disguise. I said that in my article. I've heard people say that. Well, it's just fatalism. In other words, we're just giving up. We're not trying to press through to God. Have you ever heard that one? Yes. We're going to press through to God. We're going to storm the gates of heaven. And something is going to open up. And everything will make sense. And it will all work out. And that's how you do it. You don't talk about providence. Because that's just code word for fatalism and fatalism would be everything is going to be the way it is now you they'd say well yeah but that's what you're saying all things are covered by god's providence including good and evil things but there's a big difference between providence and fatalism and i have taught this in different places and times the last 25 30 years providence personal 
it's not a series of mechanically determined events, everything that happens being the necessary cause of antecedent things that happen, and so on and so forth, like molecules uh, colliding. But it's God overseeing his own creation for a, a purpose that he has. You see that in Ephesians 1, 1 through, uh, excuse me, 3 through 14 in that barakah, or that praising God for his glorious ways, Ephesians 1. And so this isn't fatalistic. It's loving and kind and personal, and it's God caring about his own creation. So that's my first answer. It's not impersonal. It's not mechanistic. It's personal. It's loving, and it's caring, and God's doing it. The fact that there is certainty is caused by God's being as one who is omniscient and omnipotent and the one who knows all things, including all things future, would be the one who also knows the certainty of what will happen. God can't know something in air. Yeah. He wouldn't be God. No, not everybody thinks about it in, in such technical terms. but Some have, and they go write books. Mm-hmm. Now, the people that really know what I'm talking about but don't like it and call it fatalism, they have one place that they usually go, and that's open theism. Right. Let's define that. Open theism says that God only knows part of the future. So really then, if, if he only knows part of the future, he really doesn't know the future at all. Well, they would say this. And I know they have because I debated one. Um, God knows what is knowable. So they're saying that this doesn't impinge on God's omniscient because what he doesn't know isn't knowable by its nature. And what is not okay. knowable by its nature, according to their doctrine, is the future choices of free moral agents. It would seem that, though, that would really lead to not knowing anything because we could do, these free moral agents could do any number of things that might thwart his greater plan. Well, that's certainly the Achilles heel of that doctrine. And so they would say God knows what he is going to do. But what he is going to do is going to be different because of the contingencies created by these future choices of free moral agents. And so God will adjust what he's doing in response to what people decide. And they have different ways of proving that, usually using anthropomorphic statements as being literal. And okay. uh, there's times they, they go combing through the Bible and say, God says something like, well, I thought that by now you would have their statements oh, like that. Right. In order to shame rebels. Yeah. We take that as literal. God didn't actually know. Okay. okay. And, right. and when God makes statements about 
what would happen if somebody did so-and-so with demons in the Old Testament. If you go here and there, this is what happened. will happen, so don't go there. So then they say, well, what would happen, therefore, is contingent on whether the person goes or doesn't go. And God actually said that. I see a quizzical look just... Yeah. <laughs> I think some people have too much time on their hands. Yeah, it, I, the whole thing sounds very complicated to me. I, it just seems... Well, it's out there, and young people in seminary that are idealistic get attracted to it. Yeah. Now, let me make a statement, okay? Because we're dealing with this, and it's a little bit technical, but we are wanting to know the whole counsel of God. When God makes a statement, like I thought you would have, does it mean he thought a certain thing, but he was wrong? Right. We would say it was an anthropomorphism. That's how we would talk. And so God talks to us according to our own order of being. He certainly knows what's going to happen. There are right. clear statements all through the Bible that God knows what will happen. He knows the end from the beginning. He works all things after the counsel of his will. But that's how they handle this. And so let me make a statement because we want to educate those who read uh, CIC and listen and so on. Because we no longer trust that you're going to get a good education even if you go to seminary. Right. So much of it is compromised. So I want you to get these details. I needed them in my life. Here's a statement. God knows all contingencies, and he knows nothing contingently. That's good, actually. Yes. Write that one down. God knows all contingencies, but he knows nothing contingently. So when he says, well, if you go here and there, like to a certain prophet in the Old Testament, this is what has happened, so don't go there. That's a contingency that he knows. Right. He doesn't know anything contingently. He would certainly know that the prophet was going to listen to God and not go there. But most of the time, these things aren't revealed because we don't have a prophet on the scene of history who's going to be told these things. Right. Okay. So we don't need to say that God's knowledge is contingent on something outside of himself because If that's the case, then we have no certainty that anything promised will actually happen. Right. And if God is contingent on anything, he's not God. You got it right, Jessica. Then we've just thrown away the biblical doctrine of God. Right. So God created all things out of nothing, and he's in charge of his own creation. Liberty is true because God chose to grant it in his creation. And so going back before the fall, we see liberty in that God gave Adam and Eve the freedom to eat of any of the fruit of the knowledge other than the one of the knowledge of good and evil. So they could go about their business enjoying the fruit of the Garden of Eden. They also had work to do till and keep it. That was already there before the fall. Adam was given the responsibility of naming the animals, which is not only a freedom and a liberty to make the name, 
it implies that humans are more important than animals and have authority over them. Right. That's a good okay. point. Because naming something in the ancient world gave you the power over it. Okay, so that was there. And then after the fall, there is still significant freedom. There's a fall, there's there's sin, and there is um, the problem of, what's it called? Phthora is the Greek word. Dissolution is, entropy is the technical word. Okay. Things tend toward disorder. Right. Okay. And so there's this entropy, this tendency to disorder. And so you have to keep doing the same thing over and over. Right. To try to get back, like cleaning the house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cleaning the house or pulling the weeds in your garden or whatever it's going to be. It, it will always be endless. Right. So we're trying to just get the disorder back to where it was so it can go to disorder again. Yeah. And in fact, it says in Romans 1, the whole creation is subjected to, uh, I thought the Greek word, I think the King James has corruption. Yeah, or futility, I think. Some futility is another way of, of saying that. Okay? Yeah. So all of this is true, but to say that God is contingent on man and that God's purposes may or may not happen depending on what man does or doesn't do is utterly confusing and unbiblical. And if you believe in Bible prophecy at all, then you really have a problem with this whole view that providence is fatalism and the better of solution is open theism because smart people know that foreknowledge implies certainty just like God's providence or his preordained plan implies certainty. Right. A lot of people just say, well, we believe in foreknowledge. And they think that solves the problem. It doesn't. No, it does not solve the problem. Because God can't know something and be wrong about what it was he knew. Right. Okay. And once I realized that, and it took me a while, it was in the 80s when I realized that. I thought, so why am I sitting here pulling hair out or whatever, trying to figure out whether the people who deny God's sovereignty or right, or whether free will determines who the elect are. Why am I going through all of this? Because it's not solving a problem anyhow. I'm just saying foreknowledge. Right. Because somebody like Greg Boyd comes along and shoots down foreknowledge, showing that it doesn't really solve the problem, so he proposes open theism. So I decided, you know what? I think I'll just believe what the Bible says. <laughs> yep. And Romans 8.28 includes the foreknowledge and God's purpose and God's saving, loving intent. Amen. Right? God's foreknowledge and God's sovereignty, these should be comforting to us. They're precious promises. They're, they're something we can rest in. We, we can't have any assurance if God doesn't know the future or isn't in complete control of the future and isn't working all things towards his final purpose. We Which have no for the good, Yeah, for the good of those who love God or are called according to his purpose. And see, ultimately, what is the kicker? I'll, I'll tell you what I found after decades of debating this. What they don't like 
we mentioned this last week, is that, well, if this is all true, then everybody's not saved, and it's not fair. We probably don't want fair, or perhaps we should say just. You know, if, if everybody got what was fair and just, nobody would be saved. Right. So there's a lot of misunderstandings. There, there's assumptions by Christians that everybody that's not a Christian wants what they have and wishes they had it. And that doesn't even true. fit with reality. No, it's not true. They're glad they're not like us. They think we're nuts. Well, they, think, they think we're the problem. They think we're the problem, that we're totally goofy, and that if we were enlightened like they are, we'd be neo-pagan nature worshipers like the rest of the world out there. Right. Okay? Let's worship instead of the creature and the creator. So they don't want to be like us. It's just that Christians look around and say, well, they ought to want to be like us. If they did, God would say, no, we don't have any room for you. You're not one of the elect. And that's a non-category. Yeah. Jesus says, the one who comes, I'll know why it's cast out. So if you have a desire in your heart to know the things of God, cry out to God. Come to him. Believe in him. Trust in him. He will forgive your sins if you believe in Jesus Christ. Trust him rather than self. So that's the universal Amen. call. Yeah. Okay, so... Providence covers all things. All things includes good and evil. Right. And we saw last week, even the evil intents of other people can lead and do lead to the greater good for those who love God. Like Joseph and the example of Jesus on the cross. We looked at right. those last week. So because it's relational, because it's for God's good purpose, because it's for a people that God promised to call forth out of the world for himself. This is not fatalism. No. This is not Islam, which is very fatalistic. Right. It's not the will of Allah. Throw up your hands. Yeah. Well, and we get the privilege of interacting with a lot of these things and being, we get the privilege of being the messengers that God sends out to preach the gospel, to reach yeah. the lost around the world. We get the privilege of praying for other believers, and we get the privilege of helping and supporting them and comforting them. God uses our actions and our desires and even our own personalities to accomplish his will. We're, right. we're not sitting back doing nothing. We're doing the things that God puts on our heart. That's exactly right. And that's exactly how God works. So then I have in my article another objection from those who just don't like what we're teaching. All right. What's and that objection? Here's this one that I, I quote here. I'm quoting my article. They claim that if we believe that God's providential will is being done moment by moment, then we will not pray, not preach the gospel, and find an excuse for our own sin. I have heard that many times. Wow. You won't pray. You won't preach the gospel. You're just going to say, God's going to save all his elect. So I'll just sit here and see if he does it. No, that's absurd, but that's what they say. The, the reality so, is just the opposite. 
Well, and God changes our desires when he breathes new life into us and gives us a heart that loves him and loves the things of God. I don't have to be told to go pray. It's in my nature to do so because God gave me a new nature. And you don't have to be told to go preach a sermon on Sunday morning because you love to show up at church and preach God's word. And I don't have to be told to go play the piano on Sunday morning because I love worship and I love music and I love our church. He gives us a love for the things that he expects us to do. Right. And that's Romans, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12. Each member of the body has a, a place and they enjoy doing their, what God called them to do. And everybody's just as important as anybody else. Right. And we're, we're motivated. That's not the problem. And for me, I'd have to say it's just the opposite. Once I realize that God's going to save people based on his intention before the foundation of the world, but I don't know who those people are. I don't have the omniscience of God. In Providence, this yet future is unknown. Right. There's the... We can't get a copy of the Lamb's Book of Life and see whose name did it. No. So we don't know. But I know that they will reply, and that's what really emboldened me as a gospel preacher. Uh, I just realized if I keep preaching the gospel clearly and, and forthrightly without shame and call people to repentance, God will use it to save people, unexpected people, that we wouldn't have known was going to be saved. Right. And it happens again and again. And that's what happened in Acts. When Paul didn't go one place, but instead went to Macedonia, turned out it was Lydia, a seller of purple, who was saved. That's how God worked. And it showed right. that the, the vision wasn't like some detailed little uh, plan. It just it concluded to go to Macedonia. Because in the vision, there was a man from Macedonia said, come and help us. Turned out when he got there, it was a woman. Yeah. Okay. But that's just what God, what God providentially used no, no, was the, the vision. Yeah, the vision was to go to Macedonia. It didn't imply there was just going to be one man there and he was going to be seen. Right. Okay. So well, providence is like that. See, you and I have desires or we may even have a dream that seems so real that we think man i wonder if i shouldn't write an article about or whatever yeah it just gets my attention a lot of things get our attention we don't go about and say god told me this is what i have to do right an idea gets into my mind by whatever it means mm -hmm. but if it's within god's liberty he's given us we can take action right and we have the freedom of taking action that doesn't work out. That's true. And sometimes we work and work towards something and it just never works out. Well, God's providential answer was no then. Well, that happened in Acts as well. Yeah. Who went with Paul? They had a dispute and problem with John Mark, so somebody else goes with him. Right. This isn't some get a revelation and find the magic touch and everything's going to work out. It doesn't work that way. Okay. No. So it's not fatalism. 
It's not giving an excuse to sin. It's not saying that God is uh, responsible for evil, so therefore we can't really trust God. Okay? Because we shouldn't say that. Now, uh, I I addressed that in my article. Um, Because remember, we just were looking at the ones that say, well, then you won't pray, and then you won't preach the gospel, or whatever. You're just fatalist. Now, here's something else I wrote. These are objections are nothing new. Paul anticipated them when he wrote Romans. Paul said, I'm going to quote Paul from Romans. Okay. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? So he's quoting a would-be objector. Right. And he goes on and says, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Light answer, well, of course not. So he's saying, what? You're insolent. Mm -hmm. What kind of a statement is that? But yet I've had people say that to me. Christian people, they make yeah. the same objection that this uh, would be objector makes in Romans, and they don't even realize what they're doing. Right. Okay. And so they're saying, well, if God works this way, then I've even had people say, if he's like that, I won't serve him. Uh, you know, I was that person at one point. I did. I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> that I, was me. If that's how God is, then can, I want I nothing that, to do with this. Can I tell that story? Yeah, go ahead. That Jessica was uh, volunteering down church and was going to play the piano. Yeah. Is that, right? is that the story? Yep. And the lady who was going to sing was telling Jessica about God's sovereignty and yeah. explaining it. And then Jessica said, well, that's the way it is. And I won't serve God. Yeah. And so then the, the lady um, was our, our secretary at the time. She came up in tears. I was upstairs getting ready for, I think it was Good Friday or something. So she comes up crying, your daughter's not going to serve Christ. It's all my fault. <laughs> and I said, well, what did you do? And she told me, good. Good? I said, yeah, good. Because she needs to f- figure out where she's at with God, if she isn't going to serve God on certain terms, it's between her and God. You didn't do anything wrong. Right. And you know what happened? Well, you tell what happened. Well, so then what happened was I actually was going to leave the church and be just be done with the whole thing and, you know, just run off and be a wild sinner. And I was driving in my car and a song from Hillsong came on. The song was called Isaiah. One line in this song is from Isaiah 43, I think. And it's, I have called you by name, you are mine. And it was like, to me in that moment, it was like the voice of God just spoke right to me. And in that moment, I knew it was true that he had called me by name, that I, he wasn't gonna let me run away. Deep down inside, my fear was that I was so sinful that I was never gonna be good enough to be a Christian. 
And in that moment, that moment that I realized God is sovereign and I am not, and he had called me and he wasn't going to let me go. It no longer, it wasn't about my own performance. It wasn't about being good enough to be a Christian. It was about God's sovereign choice and election. And that's actually really when my life changed. You know, yep. I, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if I would say I wasn't a Christian before then, but that's when my life changed. Right. And, and ironically, that the lady that we were talking about had moved out of state by then, right? Not long she, after yeah, that. or was just about to. And then what happened then when you heard that line in that song? She, well, I, I called her okay. and she, yeah, I talked to you and I called her and she had she, just, this is how God works. This is why we pray when we feel like praying. I called her and she was in tears. She was in tears and she said, I've been praying for you all night long. I couldn't sleep. I kept waking up feeling like I need to pray for Jessica. So. Wow. Yeah. And then I went, the next person I talked to was dad and I went running up all those church stairs and I, you know, popped into the office and I said, it's true. It's true. It's all true. So that's why I didn't get upset when she was trying to blame herself for you not wanting to serve Christ. I, I knew it was between you and God. Yeah. And then that's God providentially used her and and even right. right down to her not being able to sleep that night because she was praying for me. She right. didn't know why. So the But it's our joy to do that. See, that's what we're trying to say. This isn't mechanistic, not fatalistic. It's what God revealed in his word. See, right. we started out this with Deuteronomy 29, 29. And what trips up a lot of Christians is they'll agree, oh yeah, the revealed things um, that which is revealed is for us and that's all great but then when they get down to what's actually revealed they don't like it right okay and they think well this, how could this be right how can this be true and what kind of, and but they need to study the whole counsel of God and embrace what is revealed yeah and the doctrine of providence is revealed it's not fatalism and it doesn't take away our freedom and it doesn't mean that we're going to be totally unmotivated or robots or any such thing it means that god does care for his own creation and he does love his own people and he will bring us all the way to glory that while that's happening, we're still making our decisions. Right. And we're enjoying the process and sometimes crying about the process. But that's yeah. the whole orb of being human. Yeah. And we have the privilege of being a part of the process. Right. God uses his people for his good, for his glory, working out his will. It's a privilege and it's a blessing. Yeah. It's not. It's a, it's a being a robot. It's a perfect joy. Just read the book of Acts, and you see the excitement of what all happens, and including shipwrecks and so on. So we need to do the same thing. We yeah. need to have the joy of the Lord, looking forward to what He's going to do, trusting in His providence, 
and believing his promises. Yep. Amen. Acts 2.42 is a verse that we cite a lot. And as we were talking in this episode, I was just thinking, you know, we use that as a foundation for the means of grace. And we have other scriptures that also teach this and, and bring in the promises associated with the means of grace. But just reading this in Acts 2, I'm going to read the verse and then just talk about it for a second and we'll close. But, so Acts 2.42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. There wasn't a command to go do those things. They were doing what they wanted to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching because they loved it. They loved fellowship, so they had fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread it's what they did because they were born again. Right. And those things are all ordained. Right. But what makes a you know, means of grace, an actual means of grace, is that it, they're attached to the promises of God. Right. And they're accessible to all people. In yeah. other words, the breaking bread of fellowship and prayer and learning the word isn't designed for just some unique spiritual elite. Therefore, every single Christian, however right. ordinary we might feel. Amen. And so that's your way of participating. And I see we're about out of time here, but we'll continue on because we haven't really got to exploring the idea of Christian liberty fully yet. We need to do that. Yep. We will come back and address that one next time. So we are out of time for this edition, and we hope to see you back next week. We want to remind you that you can access this article that we've been referring to today and this program, as well as years worth of others at the website cicministry.org. And we want to remind you, as it says in Philippians 1.27, stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus and Bob DeWay, and we'll see you next week. Amen.